all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. All about the Savior and the promise of His Word. It's all about Jesus. Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. Want to have a reason to memorize scripture? You want to have a reason to know God's word? Because we're going to be held accountable by the very words of Jesus that he speaks. So Jesus' words aren't just for judgment though. Can I tell you that? Jesus' words also, they bring life. Okay, listen to John 6, 63. Jesus said this. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. You ever feel like that when you read, like especially the Gospels, you read uh, verses and you read words of Jesus, and you just go, oh, I feel like I'm coming to life. Matter of fact, one of my favorite chapters that I used to read regularly whenever I'd be depressed or feel down or feel doubtful or struggling is Ro- uh, not Romans is a good one too, but uh, John chapter 6, where there's promise after promise of eternal life and, and salvation. And I'd read John chapter 6, and I'd just, you know, if you ever feel depressed, write that down. I'm gonna, I better go read John chapter 6 today. Just good stuff. So the Word of God especially from the mouth of Jesus, but it's all the Word of God. I like the, even in the Old Testament. You know what uh, Isaiah said about the Word of God that's productive and effective? Listen to this, Isaiah 55, verse 10. For as the rain comes down from heaven, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I've sent it. So when God speaks, his word goes forth, it doesn't just fall and never have accomplished something. It accomplishes something. Make sure you get this right, though, folks. It doesn't return to him void. That's what it says. Um, uh, I know I've heard some people say it doesn't go out void. Well, some people are sleeping when they hear the word, okay? But I tell you what, whenever the word goes out, it always accomplishes something and returns fruit back to God. And the phrase itself, the Word of God, it can be understood in a variety of ways in the Bible. So I'm gonna, your next few fill-ins, we're gonna, I'm going to show you the different ways that the, the phrase, the Word of God, can be uh, understood. The first one, your next fill-in, is God spoke through the prophets. All throughout the Old Testament, the prophets. The Word of the Lord came to... As a matter of fact, I looked it up for fun. I do weird things for fun. Uh, is that... 94 times in the Old Testament alone, it says the word of the Lord came to me or the word of the Lord came to and it fills in the blank. 94 times in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, in the very first chapter of of Hebrews, the book starts out, in times past, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he speaks to us through his son. So the writer of Hebrews acknowledges that's how God spoke. But now listen, now the son is speaking, okay? Now, the next fill-in, God spoke through the New Testament apostles. So we know also God spoke 
through the apostles. And again, I want to read that verse too that I read earlier in the New Living, but I want you to hear it in the New King James. First uh, Thessalonians 2.13. And because I think when I first discovered this verse, I was using the New American Standard, and I had it written out in the, in the front cover of my, uh, my Bible in New American Standard. But I'll give you New King James. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. Now listen, have you ever had somebody tell you, Ah, the Bible, it's just a bunch of words from men. It's just ink on page, and it just, it's just the words of man. Well, that's, those people are going to miss out. Because what, what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, I'm so glad that you didn't just take it as the word of man. I'm glad you took it as what it is, the word of God that effective, effectively works in those who believe. Boy, read your Bible, folks. It, you, need, you need inner strength, you need building up, read your Bible. Also interesting, uh, I think I, I read this to you um, maybe last week or the week before, how Peter even spoke of Paul's writings as Scripture. Listen to this verse in 2 Peter 3.16. He says, And also, speaking of Paul, in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. So Peter said, yeah, people twist Paul's words just like they do the rest, the rest of the scriptures. So even back then, I know people say, well, they didn't have a Bible back then. They just had the Old Testament. Well, they had the epistles, the letters of the apostles. And, and so they did, it was the word of God. And, and they, they regarded it as such, okay? So God spoke through the prophets. God spoke through the apostles. I can't miss this. Everything that Jesus spoke was the word of God. Because he was fully God. And when God speaks, it's the Word of God, okay? So because he's fully God, when he spoke, it was the Word of God. And Jesus is so closely identified with the Word of God that in Revelation, he's even called the Word of God. Let me just show you that verse. In Revelation 19, 13, the second half of the verse says, and his name, speaking of Jesus Christ, his name is called the Word of God. Matter of fact, remember in John 1, 1, the Word was with God and was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us later in the chapter. And so Jesus, wanted, <laughs> I used to tell my uh, junior high kids when I was a, a youth pastor, I say, you know, it's like Jesus is the Word. Like God wants to speak to you. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know His heart for you. He wants you to know His love. And so He opens His mouth so he could, you could get to know Him. Jesus. That's how you get to know God. You listen to the words of Jesus. Get to know Jesus. So as I thought about this more, I thought, man, the word of God is so prevalent through Old and New Testament that the, the, it was the word of God that created all things, right? Didn't it say in Genesis, and God said, let there be light and water and light. Let there be. He spoke things into existence with his word. So the word of God created all things, but also here's your next fill-in. The word of God gives us eternal life. The Word of God gives us eternal life. And uh, I found a great text from Peter that clearly says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Peter says that having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God. Now I'm going to keep reading, but uh, what, what Peter is saying is it's just like there was a seed planted in you and life came forth from that seed. You ever, I don't know if you're any, any of you gardeners out there, uh, I try to plant something. The best thing I've ever grown were plastic plants, okay? I, I'm, I'm not real good at growing anything. Else. Of course, they don't grow. They, kind of, they just stay. At least they don't die, you know? 
I've, I've had plants in my house and watched them die. And we just threw out some tulips the other day. Don't tell anybody. I know I should have planted them. But if I did, they'd die. So <clears throat> here's the thing. The Word of God is like a seed that's planted in your heart that brings forth life. And so that's what Peter's saying. He says, we've been born again, not of incorruptible seed, excuse me, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God. I am a new man because of God's word spoken to me. And so many of you, how many of you guys could say, because of the word of God, I'm new inside, huh? All right, so the rest of you need to get saved. Uh, other than that, we'll keep going. He says, the, the word of God which lives and abides forever because all flesh is like grass. All the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this word, now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. It's like the gospel is the word of God to you. I'm so glad that I heard the gospel. And, and you know, the fact is, folks, Here's what a lot of people get wrong. They think they hear the gospel and not, okay, I heard it once. I heard that once. Let's do, move on to something new. We need to continually be hearing the word of God. We need it constantly. Um, I like the way uh, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, 2. He says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I remember um, I had an aunt years ago when I first got saved. I was in high school and uh, I was reading my Bible and she goes, Michael, that's what... Adults used to call me. Michael, haven't you finished that book yet? It's like he's always, he's a slow reader. He's still reading that Bible. I says, aunt, I, I don't care how many times you read through it. It's life. You always need the word of God. And, you know, I hope that that's what's going on in your hearts, that you never get tired of it. You never go, yeah, I've read that already. Fortunately, our Bible's big enough that if you've already read part of it, there's a part of it you haven't read in a while. And we could keep staying in the word, keep reading through the word. And I'll tell you something, as I'm getting older, I know a lot of you don't think I am, but I'm getting older. And as, as we go through this time, there's always something new I discover in God's word. There's always something I go, I never saw that before. So if somebody says to you, Michael, didn't you finish that book yet? Uh, listen, you're, there's always new treasures being brought out as we keep digging in God's word. It's a bottomless pit of treasure for, for you who hunger and thirst after the word of God. And let me tell you something, it's firmly established forever. What Isaiah said in, in Isaiah 40 verse 8, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You, you won't do bad to memorize it. Because you, when we get to heaven or as you get older, you're not going to go, oh, look, that's old and here's a new one. You know, the, the, the old is out, the new is in. There's a different book now. No, stick with your Bible. It's going to last for a long time. The word of the Lord endures forever. Don't get tired of it. And you're not wasting your time. When you memorize it, meditate in it, stay in the word of God, that's what gives us health and strength. So now back to our text. And I'm going to look at a few key words in verse 12 since we still have a few minutes left. In verse 12, it says, uh, for the word of God is living. That word living, you know, have you ever read something and just thought, this is dead. <laughs> have you ever, maybe it's a poem your girlfriend sent you, I don't know. But there's times you read something and you just go, there's a yawner. <laughs> there's movies like that. There's stories like that. But I'll tell you something, God's word is living. And, and there, there is something there. And God's word is alive 
full of life, life imparting. It's funny, one of the things that struck me as I read this God's Word is Living is we're currently on Wednesday night going through an apologetic series on intelligent design. Uh, this Wednesday we're going to start on What About the Dinosaurs? We're going to do a four-part series on that. If you like that sort of thing, come join us. But one of the things that we're, we argue about when we're talking about evolution versus creation is life can't come from non-life. I mean, even the greatest evolutionists, the smartest evolutionists, have no idea how life started. They have guesses on how it evolved, which is full of holes. If you have to actually look at it, I don't believe in evolution at all. I think it's a fairy tale, and actually more, it's a lie of Satan. Um, and, and so what they do is, you ask them, what about how life formed in the first place? Their answer? They don't have an answer. Because... We all know that life can't come from non-life. That's why I'm glad the Word of God is living. Because life can't come from the Word of God. We receive life from it. Verse 12 also says, the Word of God is powerful. That word powerful, if you look it up in the Greek, it's actually effective or active. Some of your Bibles translate it, uh, depending on the translation you're using, the Word of God is effectual or active. Uh, I like, again, Amplified Bible says this. For the Word of God... The word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. Just in case you missed it, okay? So I like, every now and then it's good to look at, get a copy of the Amplified Bible. So it's living, it's powerful. Verse 12 goes on to say that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Remember I told you it's a, it's a sword with blades on both sides meant for jabbing, or you could even call it like a surgeon's knife. Oh, there's so many times where God speaks and he cuts and it's just what I need. Uh, so this word uh, sword here, it's a small, large knife for thrusting or like the Roman soldiers had. Again, it reminds me of what Paul said when he t- tells us to put on the full armor of God. In, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, put on the salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You can't be an effective Christian soldier or Christian worker in the world without knowing how to use your sword, your small sword, your large knife, whatever you want to call it. It's the word of God, and it's it's your weapon against the evil, okay? Matter of fact, uh, in Revelation, John records for Revelation 2.12, the angel says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Pergamum. This is the message from the one with a two, excuse me, with a sharp two-edged sword. So Jesus is described as the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Why is it? He is the, he is the Word of God. And he, he knows how to wield the Word of God like none other. Okay? Moving on in verse 12. It's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And then he says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even between the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As I was looking at this text this weekend, I'd spent a lot of time just pondering and reading and listening to what other, how other pastors deal with it. It was brought to my attention that there is a great theological debate. I don't know if you caught in here. It's piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit. There's, uh, I don't know what you, how you look at it, but I've always thought body, soul, and spirit. We're body, soul, and spirit. You know, theologians argue whether we're body, soul, and spirit or just body and soul and the spirit is part of the soul. I mean, you want, to, you want to fight over something, I guess you could argue over something, but it's interesting. The, it's, it's, the reason why that comes up is because um, 
the two words, soul and spirit, if you read through the scriptures, sometimes they're interchangeable how they're used, and, and it, it could be confusing. And, and they're not, but they're not always interchanged. Sometimes, like in this verse, they're mentioned as two distinct things. And so the debate whether, whether man is a dichotomy, soul and spirit, or whether he's, uh, excuse me, body and soul, or a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. My opinion, just so you know, I think that there's verses like this and a few others, and the growth groups will look at some of the others, um, that we are body, soul, and spirit. I just think that's why the, the author brings it up here. But what's the whole point of all this? Uh, the point is, the Word of God doesn't get confused. The Word of God can split where no man can split. The Word of God can discern and draw the line where we argue over. We don't know where to draw the line. And the Word of God is like a surgeon's scalpel that knows just where to cut. You know, we can say that the, the soul, well, the soul, it's, it's uh, our individuality. It's our inner life. It's, it's defined by our mind and our will and our emotions and the spirit. It, it's more of the supernatural part. And the Word of God just goes, let me tell you, where to cut it, okay? The Word of God can discern things that people will argue over. So anyway, Hebrews 4.12, I believe, supports the trichotomy of man. And First Thessalonians uh, 5.23 is another one, if you want to look it up, uh, that were body, soul, and spirit. But you know what? If you disagree with me, it doesn't matter. Come up afterwards, I'll pray for you, okay? It doesn't matter. Okay, the point here, the precision of God's Word. Matter of fact, the other thing it uses here is the joints and marrow, Right? I mean, uh, the marrows and the bone, the joints. I mean, most people might be able to find the difference when you're breaking apart your chicken for dinner, you know. But the Word of God doesn't make mistakes. It cuts very clearly. Bone and marrow, soul and spirit. The Word of God is God's pre precision surgeon's knife. And it cuts with intentionality and accuracy. And it hurts so good. I hope you hunger for the Word of God to cut where you need to be cut. There's things in my life I want the Lord to cut out. I need that. I need him to be able to cut out the bad stuff. Because you know, no matter how hard I try, I could try to stop things or change things. Only God could change my heart. I could change my mind. I do that all the time. But only God could change my heart. And so I, I look forward so much to the word of God changing me from the inside out. I need this so much. Now, here's your next fill-in. In case you missed it. The word of God diagnoses the condition of man with a surgeon's precision. Mm -mm -mm. Surgeons, precision are the two words. It lays open the heart and accurately discerns spiritual health. If you want to know how you're doing with the Lord, just start reading your Bible. You want to know how you're doing spiritually? Spend some time, just sit down, just start reading the Word and let God's surgeon's knife begin to cut in your heart and, and he changes you. You spend a couple hours a day in the Word, I, I guarantee you it'll, it'll change you for good. Grateful for the mute button. Okay. Now, have you ever heard... Wait, there's one more. There's one more. Hebrews 12... I got it in my notes. 12e. <laughs> Listen. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. Here's the last part. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Have you ever sat in a Bible study... And just listen to a message and you thought, wait a minute. The pastor knows all my secrets. Have you ever had that happen? I heard stories from a, I listened to David Gusek today or the other day last, during this week. And he said that one guy came up to him mad after Bible study because he thought that his wife put David Gusek up 
to following him around to find out what he's doing behind his wife's back. It's like, the word of God can do that, okay? Now, some people think, the pastor knows my secrets. The pastor knows. The pastor doesn't know much, okay? Don't worry. I don't know. But God does. And God knows how to speak to you through his word. I'm grateful I don't know all about you. If I knew everything about you, I wouldn't like you. Okay? Well, I'm grateful you don't know everything about me too. Okay? There's some things we know about each other. It's like, huh, well, you know. But I'm grateful. That's up to God. He knows. He knows our heart. He knows our secrets because his word is alive. It's living. All right? Now, we're going to wrap it up here with verse 13. Moving right along. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Naked means nothing hides from him. It kind of reminds me of the story of when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and all of a sudden they realized they were naked and they felt their shame and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves and when they did, God couldn't see them anymore. Right? Have you ever tried to cover up your sin and don't want anybody to find out? And now God doesn't know, right? No. Everything is naked before him. You can't hide a thing before God. And he sees all of our hiding. It's interesting. I read a, an excerpt from the Everyman's Bible Commentary. Let me just read this excerpt about this verse. It may be disturbing thought, and it should bring, but it should bring comfort to know that all things are naked and open into his eyes of him to whom we have to do. This can be said of none but God. Thank you, Lord. Our dearest friends and the members of our families know us only in part. The very proneness of our hearts to forget God is known by him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. And it is this assurance that we can wholly entrust ourselves to him. We can only enter into rest as we trust him completely. His word, which bears testimony to his person, will help us do that. Let me tell you something. Let's just get this out of the way. Yes, God knows everything about you, good and bad. He knows everything about you. He knows things about you you don't know about you. And he still loves you. Huh? Aren't you glad? I mean, I'm a guy who's prone to shame. I feel embarrassed and shame about everything. And the Lord always has to, I think I talked to you about last week, after, right after we finished going to the first uh, Boise Harvest, and there was that song, He Loves You, He Loves You, He Loves You. They kept singing, and I thought, Oh, God, I need to get that through my thick skull. Because I still think I'm performance-based this thing. Oh, God's mad at me today because I did this. He likes me today because I did that. No! He loves you, He loves you, He loves you. Oh, how I need to hear that. And so, God knows everything about you, and He still loves you. Why? I, I have to say this several times so you get it. I know I've said this before. God loves you because you're cute. No. Why does God love you? God loves you because you're good. No. You know why God loves you? Simple answer, but powerful answer. Because God is love. Because that's who he is. Have you ever had somebody hate you because they're just hateful? Don't point. Have you ever had somebody just ornery? They just hate you. It's because that's just the way they are, right? Now, don't use that as an excuse. That's just the way I am. God loves you because that's just the way he is. He loves you because he's love. I'm so grateful. And I, your pastor, need to be reminded of that on a regular basis because all those mind games that you have to deal with, I deal with too. That's why I love to stay 
in the word. Anyway, let me read it to you again because I'm just remembering we have communion yet, okay? Did you all pick up communion? If you didn't, raise your hand and I'll have Tom or one of the ushers bring you some communion so you can start getting it ready. But listen, Hebrews 4.13 from the New Living says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he's the one to whom we're accountable. The conclusion, God sees right through you, and he still loves you. He knows everything about you, yet he still loves you. And you know what he says? I'm going to close with this last verse from Matthew, and it's the words of Jesus. It's the word of God. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and Jesus said, and I'm reading it from the New Living, so I have to look at it, or I'll memorize it, do it from the King James. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. This is to you. Listen. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You need rest? Come to Jesus. My yoke is easy to bear, and the burdens I give you is light. Contrary to most religion, my yoke is heavy. My rules are many. My requirements are impossible. Jesus says, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I just want to love you. I want you to love me. I want you to walk in my love. Father, we bow before you. And as we prepare our hearts for communion right now, I pray, Lord God, if there's anybody here who's just struggling in their walk with you, that you let them hear your voice. Let them hear your call of love to them. Father, only you know all things, and we're grateful only you know all things about us. But Father, we call upon you right now, knowing that nothing is hidden from you. And we say, hear our cry, Lord. Cleanse us of our sin. Fill us with your spirit. Make us to be what we ought to be. And listen, before we have communion together, if there's something right now that you need to get right with the Lord, if there's something standing between you and God, maybe it's a word, a thought, an action, an attitude, and you need to get it right, could you just tell him right now? Name it by name, because it's silly to say, forgive me all my sins and not name it, or you won't change. Name it and say, Lord, change me, forgive me, cleanse me, Lord, and name it and say, I repent. You know, faith and repentance are two words that are used often in the scriptures. Faith in him and repent means turning from your sin to the Lord. Call on his name right now because all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. He hears your cry. He hears your voice. Draw near to him right now, won't you? As you're doing that, we're going to sing a song unto the Lord. And, and while we're singing, I also encourage those of you who are going to have communion with us to um, prepare the communion elements. Just open up the tab and get it ready so that when this song is over, we're going to have communion together. So open it up, get it ready, and wait for further instruction. Let's worship the Lord for this song. Jesus, He's the resurrection. We hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is why 
one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.